And then one day I woke up and I missed six alarms and it was noon and I was super late for work. And my boss was like, oh, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I think that was the moment I realized that this is not a sustainable way to live. Hello and welcome to Miseducated the show about unlearning the misguided rules from society that govern our lives. With me, your host, Tash Doherty. Hello everyone and welcome back to Miseducated. I hope you're having a lovely week so far. Recently I've been reading The Artist's Way again by Julia Cameron and I've been feeling a lot more inspired by synchronicity coming into my life. So I've managed to line up a lot of great episodes of Miseducated in the coming weeks. So be sure to subscribe so you can get all the latest episodes and if you're feeling extra generous I'd be so grateful if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're really focusing on growing miseducated and expanding throughout the year, and your support would mean the world to us. So thank you so much. My guest today is Anna Lee, co-founder of Lioness, a smart sex toy company. We'll talk here about how she became a mechanical engineer, how she started her career before joining and building Lioness, and how she's seen our culture today evolve in terms of our discussions about sex after she's dedicated the last six years of her life to building this amazing company. So please enjoy. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Miseducated. I'm Tash Doherty, your host, and here today I'm with Anna Lee, who is the co-founder of Lioness, and we're going to really dive into sex tech, femtech, and everything that's really exciting about people with vaginas. So thank you for joining us, Anna. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cool. So you were an engineer by training, mechanical engineer. Um, when did you get into becoming a mechanical engineer? So I've always really liked the idea of engineering, but going back to high school, I was fortunate enough to go to um, STEM-focused high school. It was called California Academy of Math and Science down in SoCal, and it was supposed to help women and people of color get exposure to STEM, and I actually did a very odd internship in my senior year at a aerospace engineering company, and one of the big things I've learned was it was such a male-dominated place and it, I just felt so out of place and a lot of times people would be like are you the sales assistant are you an executive assistant and I was always just so frustrated at this idea of why am I not seen as an engineering intern and so um, I kind of went in with that anger <laughs> a little bit of being like you know what I'm going to go to college I'm going to become the best engineer there is I'm going to go back to this company I'm going to show them and I want to prove myself so I applied for engineering uh, in different universities and I actually applied as a materials engineering major just because I thought it'd be more interesting understand the chemicals and all the compositions of different materials because I think in aerospace they say that's really important and I realized I was really bad at it it's super theoretical it's things you can't really see visually and so there was a summer where I didn't have an internship and I um, joined the machine shop class at a local community college and I've always wanted to learn how to skateboard I was like I want to build a skateboard what do you think and so they were like oh yeah, we can totally figure out how to do that. And so I started learning how to CAD and figuring out the shape of the, the skateboard I wanted and then figuring out how to find the right 
drill size, just all these little like hands-on things. And I realized when I built it and all these amazing machine shop specialists helped me build it, I was like, it is so cool to be able to think of an idea and then see it, hold it in your hands. And that's when I decided to switch to mechanical engineering. And uh, since then I've been a mechanical engineer kind of building things and seeing things come from an idea all the way down to manufacturing and getting it shipped. Wow, that's awesome. And so when you talk about your experiences in aerospace, when you talk about earlier and it being a male dom- dominated field, how did that anger manifest? Does that continue to drive you today is I guess what I'm asking. Yeah, so you know, I think about this all the time because the the healthy thing is that we're not supposed to be driven by I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to show the world all these things, but I will say I was had this mindset of um being a woman in STEM, I think especially when I was back in high school 10 12 years ago, it was such a you there's an odd thing and people were like, "Oh, why would you do that? You should do this. You should become a doctor." All these things and I I remember just being like, I want to do this because I can be a really, really awesome engineer. If I reflect back, it's all these little moments of choosing one path or another. I did get to where I am because of it, but I'm in the camp at this age of, you know, never, nothing should ever be driven by like anger. But I think passion is definitely different, but um, anger is definitely not healthy. (laughs) Yeah. I still feel like at moments when motivation, you know, might be down. I guess I'm personally using anger a little bit to continue to go and and do things. Um, But yeah, I really like the way that you wanted to get into engineering because in my school there were engineering classes. But at the time, I just remember there were basically no girls in any of those classes. Definitely. Um, So then you decided you wanted to become a mechanical engineer. Was this, you were already in college at this point and you were taking classes. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, actually that's such a great question because I love to emphasize this so often now because I think it's something that we don't talk about enough is I did horrible in college. I I was a bad student. College definitely was one of those experiences where I got hit by a truck of just I don't know anything. I'm the dumbest one in this class. You kind of have all these fears of, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Definitely that huge weight of imposter syndrome just like sat heavily. So I was in materials engineering major till the end of sophomore year. And that's a cutoff when you can switch what major you want. And they had this thing where you actually have to have a certain GPA to prove that you can switch to a different major. And I remember I didn't actually qualify in, but then I, I don't know if I want to call it anger, but it's intense passion for me. And so I learned that a lot from my mom growing up. And I remember emailing my professor being like, Hey, I really loved your class. I'm really passionate about wanting to be a mechanical engineer. Here's an essay about why I'm so passionate about doing it. And then my counselor emailed me back and was like, Hey, we should talk about this in person, but it was during winter break. So I was back home in LA, but then my I went to Berkeley and I was like, I will drive right now to come see you. If you give me six hours, I will come and talk to you. I need you to understand why this is so important to me. And I remember, I think she was so scared of me. And so she was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to officially change your major. So I switched. And then, so my junior and senior year, I got to do all mechanical engineering classes And yeah, if I think about it now, I scare myself that I was so determined to do that. Um, I think I'm fairly easygoing for the most part, but um, I think it is those little moments where you just like, I need to do this for myself. And so I was so shameless about emailing every single professor and just getting it done. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like 
definitely laser focus at the right time is key. And definitely. <laughs> making a really big impact on what you ended up building and the transition in the rest of your career, which is super important. So if you're in the headspace where you're able to have ideas about where you want to go and moving forwards, it's amazing that you were able to really just do it. I definitely get it from my mom. She's a single mother and she raised me and my brother immigrated from Korea to the U.S. and like, you know, just had two, these two young kids and she didn't know English. And I think the biggest thing she would always tell me is don't let people get in your way of what you're trying to do. Um, I remember when I was young, I was, I was super shy, introverted kid, but you know, if some store was like, oh, you can't return this. She's like, I want you to go in there. As a 10 year old, she's like, bring the jeans back in, explain where that it's within policy to still return it. And she made me do it all the time. And I would cry in the car, but um, you know, it's good life lessons. When you were young and you were really shy, how did that kind of manifest when you were like in, I don't know, elementary school and just running around and stuff? For sure. So I think a lot of times when I tell people I'm very introverted, people get very surprised. But from when I was young to all the way to high school, I was really quiet. I had very small group of friends. It's kind of that um, almost stereotype of that Asian kid that's like, you know, does their work, understands what's going in class, but they're like super quiet. But I actually, I was born in the U.S., but we moved back to Korea when I was a baby. Korean was my first language. And so I lived there till I was about five. And so when we came to the U.S., to elementary school, first grade, I didn't actually know any English at all. Oh my God. And it was so different than the preschool and kindergarten I went to in Korea. But um, I was always shy. But in college, I actually went backwards because I was suffering so much in college that I didn't do any like extracurriculars or anything like that. Um, now, I think the big thing is I'm still very introverted. I still struggle with deep social anxiety. But I think one, getting therapy is very important. And I'm actually very vocal about it. Like, you know, if I get invited to things sometimes, I already feel the social anxiety coming. So I think I'm just more honest with myself of when I'm comfortable or uncomfortable. And yeah, not letting that dictate how other people perceive me. Just Right. Did you ever imagine yourself taking more of a forward-facing role and doing a lot of public speaking and all the things that you do to get people excited about the company that you're building? That requires a lot of confidence, gumption, the ability to speak to people. So yeah, I feel like that's a bit, that must be challenging. Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> that's a big thing. Um, so I worked at a corporate job after I graduated college. I worked at Amazon and um, I was in the mindset and this comes from Asian immigrant parent mindset of the goal in life in the quote unquote American dream is go to a big corporate job, be very safe and just work there for the next 20, 30 years and build your life because of that opportunity. And so I was never in the camp of, I wanted to be an entrepreneur or anything like that. It just was one of those funny instances in life where um, I met my two co-founders now and they're like, Hey, we're building this thing. And I was like, Oh, let me just help them with the mechanical engineering. So Actually, when I first joined the company, they make fun of me to this day about this. So this happened like six years ago when I decided to join full time. I was like, you know what? I'm passionate about engineering. I want to be known as a good engineer. And I'm not really interested in the, the startup world. I don't really care to do the networking in the startup community. I really just want to show that I can build products and execute on those. And so I'm going to really focus on this part of the startup. And so they were like, okay, yeah, do you do you. 
And the funny thing is three years into it or like two years into it, I was like, I made a huge mistake of, you know, being in a startup, you don't get to just be one thing, right? If you're a co-founder, you're one of the faces of the company. You represent why this company should exist. And so I started getting invited to more talks. And so um, it's something that I've definitely grown into over the past six years. And I'm still learning to this day. I definitely will say my comfort zone is to talk about more engineering focus, but yeah, it's definitely life lessons of just being an entrepreneur and figuring out uh, what I'm doing or um, how to be one of the faces of the company and why we think we're so passionate about it. So, and I think on top of that, I was actually very, very, very scared of my own body. I was never like a super sexually open person at all. And so on top of doing a startup, doing this startup was such an unexpected turn that when I first started, I was so scared to say words, you know, like clitoris, orgasms, vaginal discharge, like all these things. <laughs> like it was such a scary thing to have to talk to people about. Yeah. And I think um, people see me now, they're like, it feels like you're meant to be this person that talks about sex all the time. And I was like, no, this is a journey for me too, of learning to be comfortable and just feeling confident in my own body and just um, in the role that I am and in the company that I am, everything has just been such a big journey for me so far. <laughs> and so through the six years, did you find it was really awkward to talk about it for how long since you first started joining <laughs> the company? Uh, maybe like the first year. So the first year we were so heads down on trying to build the product. So we didn't really do outward facing things as much. I think there was a day when PR picked up the story that we were building this thing. And from there, we started just getting a lot of press during that moment. And so maybe right about then we were like, oh, we have to start talking about this with people, figuring out how we wanted to explain it. There was actually even a time where we were like, maybe we shouldn't call it a vibrator because it's such a unique category on its own. It's this biofeedback, health and wellness related tool for sexual pleasure and orgasms. We're like, maybe we should call it something else because we were kind of scared to use the word vibrator because we thought it would put the automatic thought into people's head about being like hypersexual or just whatever, pornographic or all those um, things. And so maybe I want to say like a year and a half to two years, like I started doing these talks. But then I think the lesson that I've learned is the energy that you say about talk about things is the same they reflect back. So if I talk about it in a really... I get really nervous or, you know, start having nervous laughter and being really uncomfortable, then they get uncomfortable. Right. At this point, if I take a uh, Uber Lyft or whatever, and they're like, oh, so what do you do? Like, oh, I make sex toys. So let me tell you about sex toys. <laughs> and then if, you know, if they don't want to talk about it, I've never wanted to push it. You know, everyone has their own levels of comfort. And, but if they're like, what does that mean? I will go into there's different types of vibrators and there's different orgasms and I like start talking about it with one of the drivers and so um it's definitely I think at this point I'm not even sure what the fine line sometimes of things I say out loud sometimes at the gym I'll say something to my friend that's working out next to me and it's like why would you say something like that while we're working out in front of all these people and I'm like oh sorry I, I forget okay and not okay society yeah. I think it's really amazing because this topic is still taboo in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. As women in the sex tech femtech space, we're getting more comfortable with the language ourselves. And then 
even talking about it with guys, I think too, because there's a difference between you feeling comfortable saying the words amongst girlfriends or your sister or your private group of friends. That's number one. But then the next stage is talking about it with guys at work or men, random dudes in the Uber. Do you have any different thoughts about talking about these issues with men versus women? You know, um, personal experience, I would say for the most part, everyone that I've talked to has been like pretty great. I mean, there's definitely conversations where I'm like, oh, they're never going to really understand what we're doing or why we're trying to do this. But I'm not upset at it just because it's such a foreign concept. There's literally no other vibrator trying to do what we're trying to do of this biofeedback and using that data to help understand what's working. Oh, it's a Fitbit for your vagina. It was kind Mm -hmm. of like overall defined if people are like, oh, it's a health tracker. So I think if I like really dig into my brain, there's of course instances where we've run into people or situations where it's been an awful experience of, oh, they're being really weird or they're saying, uh, you know, inappropriate things, even not in a professional setting. And as soon as you open that door to, oh, I'm in the sex toy industry, all of a sudden they start talking to you about really inappropriate things. This is something we always talk about too at our companies. When me and my co-founder Liz, were first doing these things when people said things that even made us feel bad or offensive it feels like Mm. an attack on you and so I think we took it personally early on but I think one thing is I've grown quite a thick skin it's in one year out the other and I always hope that people are naturally good it's just I think the biggest thing is society-wise we don't talk about this stuff openly enough the traditional edge channels of porn maybe it's just become this thing where we're also seeing that you know directly here so sometimes I think people don't know how to talk about it when someone else is talking about it we have as a society a lot to do in terms of changing our mindset but I honestly even in this past six years alone I've seen so much amazing growth and change and just seeing how people understand this space and like seeing amazing companies constantly come up in sex tech and femtech. So I'm like really excited at this new shift. Maybe six years ago, I was a little sadder than now, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling pretty positive about it now. Yeah, I definitely love the communities of all these different founders. And I feel like they are some of the most amazing people that I've ever met. So, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's go into a little bit about the story of how you actually founded the company. Um, so how did you actually meet your co-founders? Yeah, so um, I didn't know them before, <laughs> which I think, you know, a lot of people are really surprised by. So I was living with my roommate who has her own startup um, in like the asthma section. And we were hanging out one day and I was working on Amazon for a couple of years now. And I was like, you know what I think would be really cool to work on as an engineering project? I was like, I think a vibrator would be really cool because it's it's everything that... For example, I was working on an e-reader at the time. I was like, it's kind of everything that it's not an e-reader because it's a really organic shape. I've always kind of worked in this rectangular world. And then it's all silicone color covered, which, you know, we don't use silicone very often in like consumer electronics. And the idea is to amplify vibration versus in phones and tablets. It's to have a very specific pinpoint, but then dampen it everywhere else. And so, mm-hmm. It's kind of like a totally opposite product of what you, what I think traditionally that we've been working on in in consumer electronic world. 
And then it was actually the time that I met a founder of a different sex work company. Just briefly met this guy. The company doesn't exist anymore, but that was the moment where I was like, how do you know what you're building works for people with vaginas? How do you know this is the right product? And he was like, oh, there's this industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose and that's what a clitoris feels. (laughs) And I just never like that. Was he a single (laughs) dude? He didn't have any female co-founders. It was just a random dude making a sex like, yeah, uh, it was a company. random dude making a vibrator company. I actually have one, the vibrator. I mean, it is a pretty decent. I, I think there's some flaws in the product, I, but that company no longer exists. So I don't feel less whatever about it. But um, but yeah, so I was just, I remember that sticking really with me. Of It's kind of crazy. Isn't that crazy? I was not sexually comfortable either. And the fact that I was supposed to like walk into a sex toy shop and buy one of these products that weren't really made for me or with me in mind is a really weird concept. And so, um, and I remember my, my roommate was like, oh, you know what? I actually know two people that are working on the AI sex toy and they were in the same um, accelerator in at UC Berkeley. And she's like, you should meet them. And so I met Liz and James and I was like, hey, I'm not asking for anything I'm not really trying to join you guys but I was like you don't have a mechanical engineer in your team I was like do you need help on the mechanical engineering I'll, I'll help you that sounds like a fun project I can CAD I can understand sensor integration let me just do this on my side for fun and it definitely was just one of those things where we started like working together a little bit I was giving advice on what sensors I thought they should put um and I remember there was a moment where I I was I kind of got so deeply wrapped up in it that I was living in San Francisco at the time, and then I was commuting down to Sunnyvale to go to Amazon for work, which oh is about God. like an hour. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I would leave work and I would go straight to Berkeley, which means I have to Caltrain to Bart, which is about an hour and a half. And then I would work at Berkeley with Liz and James on building this first prototype out. And then from there, I would Uber home at two in the morning back to San Francisco and then I was doing this weird crazy triangle every day I think a good three or four maybe like six months or I don't know a good chunk of time and then one day I woke up and I missed six alarms and it was noon and I was super late for work and my boss was like oh what's going on are you okay and I was like oh my gosh and so I think that was the moment I realized this is not a sustainable way to live. Mm. And I kind of was, you know, talking to Liz and James about it. And they were like, well, would you want to join us full time? Um, we talked about you being one of the co-founders and all of that. And so um, I was in my early 20s and I was one of those, oh, you know, whatever, who cares about responsibilities? Or I'll figure it out. And yeah, I want to join. And so I left Amazon and I started working on Linus full time. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Miseducated. We're obviously grateful to have you here and we'll hope that you'll tune in again soon, especially next week, where we'll be talking to Anna about the challenges she's experienced building, scaling and raising money for Lioness, the smart sex toy company. Lots of love. Bye.